following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We are making our way through First uh, Peter, and when Nate gave me this particular passage to share on, I found it a little bit challenging, not because of the content as far as it's uncomfortable, but to try to make it applicable to a wide group of people. Okay, uh, so let's see what passage I got assigned today. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. All right, so I'm going to uh, read it in the ESV. Uh, you guys can read along in whatever version you have. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, the, the, especially at summertime when all the kids are in here and everybody's here, how do you make a passage like this applicable to everyone so that everyone can take something away? And so I've been praying a lot about this, and I believe that God uh, does use his word to speak to different people uh, in different ways, using the same passage. And so I hope that that's what happens to all of us today. This passage, though, is quite offensive to three groups of people and maybe more. But I, I have been, uh, I went to a secular university and often people would bring up passages like this about uh, why the Bible is irrelevant for modern society. And uh, one group of people that find this passage very offensive is women or men who believe that the ultimate aspiration for women is to be fully equal with men. So if that's what you think is the, the goal of, of women and a, equal or better than men, and that's where you're heading, this passage is very offensive because it's going on a different trajectory altogether. But not because of what I often hear, which is this passage puts down women, puts them under men, but instead it's because Peter gives women a higher calling, something greater to aspire to than equality with men. But if it's interpreted the wrong way, it's very offensive. A second group of people that get offended by this passage are people who idolize individual freedom and personal expression. Who's going to tell me how I'm going to dress and who's going to tell me how I'm going to display myself to the world? I have the right to be who I am and whatever I want to be, uh, whether you're a woman or a man. If that's your passion in life and your focus, this passage is very offensive because Peter takes us on a totally different path than that. The third group of people uh, who can be very offended by this passage, and indeed almost all of chapter 2 and most of chapter 3 of 1 Peter, is people that believe that honor and respect must be earned. Because this passage doesn't say anything about the quality of the husband that has to be submitted to. It doesn't, say any, it doesn't have any exceptions like, you know, if he's a worthy guy, if he's a, if he's a wonderful guy, if he's somebody that you, that you really respect and honor naturally, then, yeah, submit to that guy. But if he's a loser, throw him out. It doesn't say that. And so it's very offensive to people who think that honor and respect must be earned. And that was also true with the passages preceding this about honoring government officials, uh, slaves honoring their masters, and a lot of other things that Peter has brought up uh, in the last few weeks, if you've been here. Um, it's very offensive to some people. The thing is that Peter 
and God who used Peter doesn't mind if we're offended. And that's something that uh, if, if being offended bothers you, um, then uh, you're going to have a hard time with many parts of Scripture. Because Scripture is there to stir us up, to make us rethink, to reconsider, and then to help us look at a different goal, a different focus, and a different purpose in our life. And then to change the way we're walking into that direction. And so it's supposed to be something that's difficult for us. But... It is important when you read scripture that you interpret it correctly. And so the Bible is not just one passage that you pull out and then this is it. So I'm going to give us three other passages, three other verses or groups of verses that are lenses that we can use to help interpret this passage by Peter so that we don't get the wrong impression. The first is Proverbs 31 verse 10, which says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. That verse imposed upon what Peter said, shows us that the wrong interpretation of Peter's uh, teaching is that women are inferior to men and were created by God to serve men. That is the wrong interpretation. Because otherwise, why would they be called more valuable than precious jewels? Servants and slaves are never described that way. Okay, so uh, a wife, an excellent wife, is someone who is worth more than all the treasures of the earth. And so, therefore, we're not equating that with the person who was born to be a slave of men. And so this is something that we have to use as a lens to interpret what Peter is saying. On the other hand, the correct interpretation that this helps give to Peter's passage is that God greatly values women. And expects his followers to do the same. Everything that God does, everything that Jesus does, he expects his disciples to do the same. So if Jesus highly values women, if God highly values wives who are excellent, then his followers, including husbands and men, should do the same. The verse after the passage we're doing today, which another speaker gets to talk a whole sermon about one verse, by the way. That's, that'll be a fun challenge. Um, talks about what men are supposed to do. And see, men are supposed to love their wives, I'm just going to do it briefly, as Christ loved the church, which means you value your wives as much as Christ values the church, and that's extremely high value. So, that's the the lens at which we're looking at what Peter's saying. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church goes along with what we saw in Proverbs. Okay, the second lens that we need to look at involves the part about adornment of braids and uh, clothes and gold and all that. Where Proverbs 31, verses 30 to 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, This shows that the wrong interpretation of what Peter is saying is that women should be unattractive and hidden away so that they do not detract from the attention and honor that men are due. Does that sound like some people, the way some people view women in the world today? Uh, That's not what Peter is saying here. Women are supposed to be there where their works are praising them in the gates. They're supposed to be seen. But what we see is that the right interpretation is that women should and all of us should choose inner adornment which reflects the glory of God and has transformational power instead of things that are temporary and which will fade away. And this is a theme that we see through Scripture, not just about beauty and clothes, but about all the choices we make. We choose things that are temporary and are going to go away, are going to rust and fade and be stolen, or we choose treasures in heaven. And this is another way to look at that. Let's think about a very beautiful woman in the Bible who nobody noticed at her time. This is the widow who gave two mites at the temple. 
Now, when she came to the temple, not only was she not impressive because of her lack of funds, which was one reason. The, you know, the rich guys had their big bags of coins and they were dropping them in with a nice thunk. And she had two tiny coins that were worth basically nothing. Not impressive. In addition to that, though, she was older and she was a widow. So she was like the bottom of the barrel in the society as far as women go. And as far as everyone in the society goes. And nobody would have really noticed her there except Jesus had his disciples sit in that spot specifically to notice that she was there and what she was doing. Because to the people around her, she didn't have external beauty. She could not afford gold jewelry. She could not afford to display herself like women would have liked to at that time. But and she didn't have things that people were impressed with, but her inner beauty of, of sacrificing all for God, giving all for the Lord, was something that Jesus wanted his disciples to see. And she's very famous and she's well known all around the world. Her works are praising her in the gates around the world. So uh, when we see this passage by Peter, let's not get thrown off by our personal uh, emotions and feelings. Let's look at what's really being said. The third lens that we need to look at is Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man or woman if he or she gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? This is the underlying principle of discipleship across the board for all of us. And it relates very much to what Peter is talking about. Because the wrong interpretation would be the wrong feeling we should have after reading Peter's uh, little blurb about the wives submitting to their husbands is that God should concern himself more with how I feel and what I want. If God knew who my husband was, if God knew the men that I know in my life, if God knew how my society was and how they treat women, I shouldn't have to do this. God should be more concerned about my feelings and what I want. But what we see in Matthew is that God is very keen that we choose abundant life, eternal life and true salvation. And in order for that, us to receive that, we are going to have to swim upstream against the current and the values of our society and our world. And that is going to cause us pain and hardship at times. When Peter talks about holy wives, he is talking about disciples. You can't be holy unless you're a disciple of Jesus. That's the only way to be holy. We can't be holy through good works. We can't be holy through any effort that we have. But when we're a disciple of Jesus, his holiness comes upon us. And so holy husbands, holy wives, holy children, that only comes from being disciples. So holy wives are disciples, and they choose the path of submission to God and to his commands because they hope and trust in God instead of being slaves to fear. And so if we're slaves to fear, we're looking at the world, the currents of the world, and we're, we're afraid to go upstream. We're afraid to go in a different direction uh, than the world is going, than our, than our flesh wants to go. And, and, and we're going to always be trying to protect ourselves and always putting boundaries up for ourselves and, and trying to compare ourselves and say, do I have to do that or not? Is that best for me or not? But the call of a disciple is to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus so that I can gain eternal life and again eternal value and so this is what we need to use to interpret what peter is saying and let's look specifically at the example he gave us which is sarah now i i know i have heard so many people say sarah called her husband lord i'm never going to call my husband lord okay you know what that's not the main point here by the way um there's a cultural there's a lot of cultural things in this passage that we need to understand 
Um, but let's look at Sarah's example and how she applied these three things that we saw on these lenses. First of all, uh, the, the, the idea of being an excellent wife who is worth more than all possessions. So Abraham was very rich. And Abraham had, uh, a, a, especially back where he started off, he was, a, he was from a big family and a well-known guy. And uh, God called him through a vision and through a direct word of revelation to leave his family and go elsewhere. Sarah had to trust that and come along. She had to choose whether to fight against him or to go along with God, what God has called her husband, Abram, to do. And she chose the path of excellence, which is a path of obedience. And if you look at Sarah's influence in the life of Abraham, she was worth more to him than all those possessions that he had. Um, in fact, he went to great lengths to try to protect her, but he was a little dumb in the way he did it. OK, um, I don't know if you remember the story. It's like, OK, they're going to see that you're beautiful. And uh, then he started to be afraid because he was a weak guy, too. And they're going to kill me. And if they kill me, I won't be able to be with you anymore. And so let's just say you're my sister. And so then two different guys took her as uh, concubines, not knowing who she was until God intervened directly and rescued her from Abraham's and Abraham's stupid decisions. But when you look behind his weakness and fear, what he was really trying to do was preserve their relationship and somehow be able to be with her because she was really valuable. He didn't want to die and he didn't want her to die. He was trying to preserve that. And it, he didn't listen to God in those moments and choose the path of wisdom. But there, it, you can see a sense of great value that he placed in her. The other thing is that um, Sarah did not have any children. And it was very typical in those days that if a man had a wife that didn't have children by, after so many years, he would take another wife. It was very normal. And Abraham didn't do that. Now, when Sarah recommended that he take Hagar, that was a whole other story. But on his own, he didn't go say, I'm going to get another wife. Like we see, for example, in Samuel's case, his mother was barren. There were two women. One had children and one didn't. And uh, it was that that was common practice in the in the Old Testament. Uh, but Abram really valued Sarah. She was very special, even though she had no children. So she was excellent to him and uh, excellent in the sight of God as well, because we see her lifted up and her example lifted up many times in Scripture. The second thing is that uh, in the part of charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Uh, Sarah was a beautiful woman, and uh, even at age of 70 plus, she was considered extremely beautiful. So she was beautiful. Her external adornment was beautiful, but the Bible rarely mentions that when talking back about Sarah's qualities. But it talks about her faith. It talks about her, her uh, submission to Abraham, but it also talks about her being the mother of nations. And so God saw more in Sarah than people saw in her and more than Abram saw in her. God had a great plan for Sarah. It wasn't just a plan for Abraham. It was a plan for Sarah, too. And the beauty that God instilled in Sarah's life little by little was something that pre preserved itself over many generations and hundreds of years and thousands of years. And she is still praised today, not because she had a beautiful body, but because she had a beautiful heart. And then we say, uh, look at this last part about coming after God, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following. That was something Sarah had to do every day. She left comfort for discomfort. She left her family for strangers. She was buried in a cave in a place where nobody knew. As Abraham had to go buy the cave because he didn't have any land that he owned on paper. And she, she didn't have even the children for a long time. She only had, uh, she had Isaac in the end, which is a great blessing. But for most of her life, she didn't have a lot of the things that she wanted, but yet she did not abandon God. She, she struggled with faith like we do. 
when she heard the promise, she couldn't believe it and she laughed, not because she was laughing at God, she was laughing at herself and saying, that's not possible for me. But yet she was desperate to believe it. She was desperate to continue walking with God and that was what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a holy woman. And that's also what it means to be a holy man or child, if we're in that category, to, to give up all to follow the, the leading of God. So Sarah is a great example for us to see what this looks like. And so Peter was very careful in choosing that, not only because for us, all of us know her, but in his time, the, the Jewish people he was writing to lifted her up as their heroine. And so they, he wanted them to know why she was so special, not just because of all the things they had heard before. But even more important than Sarah's example is Jesus' example. And if, if we go back to the chapter before this, which I think you guys talked about last week. I wasn't here, so I'm assuming you did. Uh, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Then this passage we're talking about today starts with the word likewise. That word likewise is very important. Like what? Like who? Like Jesus. So this whole context of wives submitting to their husbands and all the things that come after that that we're going to look at is in the context of us being like Christ. And it, Christ was willing to accept suffering in order to display the glory of the Father and in order to reconcile people to God. And that is exactly the purpose of wives submitting to their husbands. That's the only purpose of it. It's not because they're inferior. It's not because that's, the, that's their lot in life. It's because they have a calling to do that. And we can see that in Peter's explanation. So it brings some tough questions up. And I don't always like to go to tough questions, but here's the first one. Why should a wife submit to a demanding, self-absorbed, stubborn husband? Now, here's the deal. If all men and all husbands were like Peter and Paul say they should be, sacrificing all for their wives, loving their wives unconditionally, um, putting, uh, honoring their wives above themselves, lifting them up so others can praise them, I don't think it would be very hard to submit to that kind of husband. This context is the different kind of man who is demanding, self-absorbed, stubborn, thinking of himself, and sometimes says, you have to submit to me because God tells you you have to do it. That kind of guy. So why should a wife submit to that kind of husband? So let's look at what Peter says. It says, be subject or submit to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So clearly, the, the, the average wife in the early church had an unbelieving or disobedient husband, many of them. And that's still true in a lot of places today, uh, where a lot, of, a lot of times I go all over Asia and I see most churches are full of women not, and their husbands are not believing or they've made a profession, but they're not living for God. And so those are the kind of marital relationships that this passage is being applied to. So why should a wife submit to that kind of a guy? Isn't she free? First Peter chapter 2 told us we're free. We live in freedom. So aren't, aren't we free? Yes, but we choose. Wives choose to submit to their husbands like that, not for themselves, 
but so that they can help their husband come to God. Their husbands are in desperate need of a, of a mentor. They're in desperate need of the work of God in their lives, and the, their wives are the one person that can influence them the most. That's what Peter is saying here. And so it's not that the man deserves to be submitted to. It's that the man desperately needs to see what it means to be a sacrificial, uh, loving person like Jesus is. He needs to see it with his eyes because he's not getting it anywhere else. And this is a great calling. It's a difficult calling, but it's a very great calling. And, and so that's the reason. There's no other reason. There's not because, not because of social uh, constructs and how people view things. Those things, we're free of the bondage of the world, how they view people and hierarchical. These people are important and these people are less important. Women are just as valuable and beautiful to God as men in every way. So that's, that's clear because Jesus died for women and men the same. So why is this such a big issue? Because how are most of the men in Peter's time going to come to know Jesus and to follow Jesus as a true disciple? His teaching is that their wives, through their conduct and through their submission, not fighting, not conflicting, but giving in for the sake of loving their neighbor, which is their husband, will have eternal fruit. And Jesus said, I have called you to have fruit that remains. And this is one way to do it. It is a sacrifice, but this is why I believe wives should submit to demanding self-absorbed stubborn husbands because they're submitting to God and they see it as a mission field, basically. Okay? But, second question, are there cases when a wife should not submit to her husband? And I believe the answer to this is the same as the one for should we sometimes not submit to or honor, to obey our, our government authorities. If the husband is telling the wife not to love God, not to love her neighbor and not to be holy, then I believe that she has to choose God instead of her husband. But I don't believe other reasons like uh, feelings, opinions, and those kind of things are valid reasons because God has put that her husband in authority over her in, in the family and doesn't mean he's better, but he has put her, him in authority over her in the family. And um, even though he's not a believer or maybe a believer not following God, Preference is not a reason to reject that. But if he tries to get her to be untrue to her first love, which is Jesus Christ, then she must choose Jesus. But just like we saw with government authorities, if you disobey them out of reverence and honor to Christ, you will sometimes face consequences here. That also will happen to some women in societies that really put down women. And that's a tough sacrifice to make. But we have to always choose Jesus first. So I do believe there are times when wives should not submit to husbands. There are husbands in Thailand that are trying to traffic their women, their, their wives, to be sexual slaves. That is abandoning holiness and not being true to Jesus. And I don't believe the wife has to submit to that. There are, we could go on to many more examples. But when it comes to you know where we should go, what we should do, the little things of life that mostly we conflict over, um, those things, um, the submission here is a choice to put Jesus first so that he can receive glory and so that the husband can become the husband that he is supposed to be. Because you, uh, husbands, we cannot make our wives into the wives they're supposed to be, and wives cannot make their husbands into the husbands they're supposed to be. All of that is only the work of God. But we don't want to be an obstacle. We don't want to be an excuse by which uh, the other gender can tell us Oh, well, if that's what Jesus is like, I don't want to have anything to do with him or your faith. 
The third tough question is related to the outward adornment. What kind of outward adornment is permissible? So there's three things listed here, and very legalistic people say, don't braid your hair, don't wear gold jewelry, and don't wear clothes that, are, that make you stand out in any way. The first thing I want you to think about is that every woman in here that I'm looking at would be considered exceptionally immodest in the time of Peter. Okay, so obviously the idea of modesty changes according to time. So I, I looked up the idea because gold, I could see, you know, you put a lot of gold jewelry on to, to show your status. I could, I could understand that and, to, and, to, and, I, and you invest a lot in it. You have to invest a lot of your resources to have a lot of gold and jewelry. Um, and I could understand clothes because in those days, fine clothes were very expensive and very hard to get. Nowadays, you can get clothes everywhere, all kinds of different things. But clothes really separated the rich and the poor in those days. Fine cloth was the dream of the rich. And the rough, coarse kind of clothes that the poor people wore, um, that was a sign that you're a nobody. But I was a little confused with the braiding of the hair. What's that? So I looked it up, and during the Greco-Roman time, uh, women of high status would do extravagant braiding of their hair, uh, and it would show that, first of all, they're women of leisure, uh, and secondly, it would show it would it was it showed they were in fashion because the fashion of braiding hair changed every few years, just like things change now. And so I believe these three were given as an example of the things in Peter's time where the aspirations of women to be noticed. These are the things women did to be noticed, to be recognized and to have influence. They, they actually had no rights and influence in the Roman Empire at all. To, uh, today, in many countries give women equal rights to men. That was not true in the time that Peter was writing this. Men had all the power, all the authority. So women used their beauty and their adornment to manipulate and to get attention. That's the only way they could have power. And Peter was saying that this is not what disciples are called to do. But it doesn't, I don't believe it means that no one can braid their hair. But I believe what it means is no one, no women or men, should be focused on adorning the outward self so that other people notice us and so that we can have influence in our culture. But instead, we should be doing what Peter says, adorning the inner heart with a gentle and quiet spirit because that is precious in God's eyes. And if we're really focused on that, doing what is precious in God's eyes, then he will give us wisdom. We will be walking as disciples, listening to his voice, and I believe he will give women and men wisdom on what kind of clothes are appropriate. What kind, how you can adorn yourself so that he receives the glory and not us. And so I think it, we can get very legalistic. Is this okay? Is that not okay? But I don't see that as the focus here. What I see the focus here is who is getting the attention when you enter into a room. Is it your heart reflecting the, the glory and majesty of God? Or is it your body and clothes reflecting you? What is your goal? What is, what is your purpose? And I think that's what Peter is addressing here. It's a tough question. Uh, some people that are legalistic say, I don't wear gold, I just wear diamonds. You know, it's like, you can go anywhere with it, but what's the point? You know, what is Peter really getting at? But I said earlier that this passage was challenging because how do we apply it to everyone? It's about wives, and if this was a husband and wives retreat, you could go into a lot of in-depth discussions about this. But there's a lot of people here who aren't wives, and so I believe that this passage gives us three powerful contrasts that apply to everyone. There are... There are, there's a contrast in the focus of your heart in three different ways in this passage that, I, that challenged me and I hope challenged you today. The first contrast is Peter contrasts a person who competes with others for personal gain 
with one who reflects the humility of Jesus by submitting to others. So why is it that it says be subject to your husbands, submit to your husbands? Because the issue is the opposite of that is compete with, conflict with your husbands. Be in competition for your own good. You're looking for your own self and he's looking for his self. And so you're trying to compete with one another and we go off on that whole track. But that doesn't just apply to husbands and wives. That applies to children and parents. That applies to uh, people, a uh, employee and a boss. It applies to neighbors. It applies to people who work together. Uh, it applies to all of us that if we're focused upon competing with others for personal gain and attention, that is an opposition to what Jesus did when he came and became like a humble servant. He is God, and he has all the glory and majesty of God, and he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. It's an amazing, powerful picture of lowering yourself for, the, for a stronger purpose, which is to reflect the glory of God throughout the whole earth and to reconcile man to God. That's what Jesus was doing, and we are part of that. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. There's many, many times in Scripture that it says exaltation is good. We, it's okay if you desire to be exalted. But the only way you're going to really be exalted is to humble yourself before the Lord. And when he is lifted up, you will be lifted up as his disciple with him and receive glory by being in his presence around him. Not because you deserve anything, but because he shares it with you out of his great love and grace. Your rewards and the honor that you receive in heaven do not come from what you've achieved and how much people have noticed you here, but come from faithfulness and obedience and humility. And so this is a principle that applies to all of us. Peter talks about wives in particular, but I think it applies to everyone. The second contrast is Peter contrasts a person who tries to gain attention by embellishing outward appearance and one who reflects the holiness and majesty of God by pursuing and exhibiting inner beauty. Isaiah 52.7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This verse is really interesting because it says feet are beautiful. Uh, now, the culture of the, of the Bible times is just like Thailand. Feet are not beautiful. They're dirty and they, no one honors feet. Even your feet are beautiful if you're this kind of person, it says. What about the rest of you? Even better. But what is it saying? Who has beautiful feet? Who is beautiful? The one who brings good news. That's, that, so that, that's, uh, that's words. That's great. But I like this word in this version. Publishes peace. You know, you have to prepare something to publish it. You have to be, you have, you're not just like randomly doing something, but you are actually intentionally being a peacemaker. And, and in order to do that, you have to, you have to focus on inner characteristics of Christ because only Christ can bring peace. So if you're publishing peace, you have to align your heart to him who is the prince of peace. And that means inner beauty, inner inner holiness. And then you, you also are bringing good news of happiness and publishing salvation. And the most important part is saying to Zion, your God reigns. How do we tell someone in Thailand, in Southeast Asia and around the world that Jehovah God, that Jesus Christ reigns? It's not primarily through words. Like Peter said, it's not mainly through words, but it's through conduct. It's through the inner beauty in our lives that shines forth and displays the beauty of God and makes people want to notice. And then we can use words to explain what that was. We can publish it. We can explain it so people, after they're interested. Peter is saying 
that reflecting the holiness and majesty of God, pursuing inner beauty, is something that we are called to do, we're designed to do that, not to pursue the things of the world that will fade away. And then the third contrast, Peter contrasts a person who avoids submission due to fear and anxiety. If you look at the last part of this passage we read, it's very interesting. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And I looked at the Greek word. It says, if you do not fear terror. Submitting to your husbands is terror. Okay, that's basically what she's saying. In some cases it is. It's not easy and it's frightening because you have to fully trust in God. So Peter is contrasting one who avoids submitting because of fear, whether it's to your husband or whether it's to government officials or whether it's to your boss or whoever it is that he's talked about through this passage and the passages before, with those who reflect the peace of God by hoping in his unfailing love. We put ourselves, we know that we're, Jesus said we're in his hand, we're in the Father's hand, and no one can take you out of his hand. That's our security. And so if he tells us to submit to this person, even though it looks scary, if we trust in him, that he is with us walking through that, and we see his example of how he submitted to people like Herod and Pilate and the Pharisees, and yet God was able to fulfill his plan through what Jesus did, we can have confidence in that. So Peter's contrasting it. It's not just wives with husbands, but all of us have times that we're afraid. We're afraid to submit and to honor and to give, give, give respect to those people who God calls us to do it, give respect to. But Peter says, that's not who we're called to be. We are called to be people who have a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit is a peaceful person who's fully trusting in the power and the love of God. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And this is a very broad verse and it applies to many things. But in this particular passage, if we are looking at our relationships and looking at our, the way we uh, display ourselves in this world and live our lives in this world according to the flesh, regardless of which version of the flesh we choose, it's all leading to death. But if we set our minds on the Spirit, it is both life and peace. So, summarizing this part about wives submitting to husbands. I compare this a lot to the other passage where it says, honor everyone, and then it has this little caveat at the end. And especially remember to honor the emperor, knowing what kind of person that guy is. You still have to honor him too. And then he gets more shocking by saying slaves have to honor their masters. Boy, does that rub against the grain. Um, and that's not my passage, but that's a really tough one. I'm sure you already heard that. But then we have this one. Wives, submit to your husbands. In a series of same kind of thing. Because, frankly, I know I am not worthy of that kind of submission as a husband. And I doubt any of you men sitting here feel worthy of it. And if you do, you have an arrogance issue. Because we are not worthy of it. Only Jesus is worthy of that kind of submission. And so, therefore, if our wives submit to us in this way, it is an act of great sacrifice, an act of denying themselves, taking up their cross and following Jesus. And it is something that's a precious gift. But it is not just there for us. It is there for the whole world to see the glory of God. 
for the whole world to see that the way Jesus' followers live their lives is not by trying to grab something for themselves, take it for themselves, and become someone great, but by giving up the things that the world values so that you can receive something better. It's like the parable of the pearl of great price. You may have many things that are valuable to you, your reputation, your freedom, your, your self-expression, all the things that are so important to you, but one day... When we have seen the great value of being a disciple of Jesus, we are willing to sell all that we have in order to receive that. And that's what this is calling us to do. Not just wives, but all of us. To set our minds on the Spirit, because that is life and peace. So, I pray that as we reflect upon this passage, and it's not an easy passage, and there's a lot more that could be said here, that we don't see this as a way that God is putting people down and oppressing and suppressing people, but it's a way that God is using to free us to become true disciples who, are, who bear eternal fruit. And women are extremely valuable to God, whether or not their husbands acknowledge it, whether or not their children acknowledge it. In Proverbs 31, it says that the, the excellent wife will be praised by her husband and will be praised by her children, but that in Proverbs is generalities. There are many cases where a wonderful, excellent wife is not praised by her husband and is not praised by society, but God sees. God sees and he will praise and honor women like that, wives like that. It's a guarantee. And so this is something that uh, gives us a guarantee, a guarantee of joy and peace is for us all to follow in the path of Jesus. And for wives today, submitting to your husbands, I don't know why God chose it that way instead of the other way around. He could have easily done it the other way around, but he chose it this way. Husbands reflect one aspect of Jesus in the relationship. Wives reflect another aspect of Jesus, and together the world sees it all. And so next week you'll see the other half. But we don't submit, women don't submit to their husbands because of their husband. They submit to their husbands because of Jesus. And if that is the, the love of your life is Jesus, he gives you the grace and the power to be able to do that, even with those demanding, self-absorbed, stubborn, loser husbands. You know, I'm just being honest. There's a lot of guys like that. But on the other hand, it's not just a death sentence. There is hope here. Because not what is the fruit? The husband can come to Christ and become the man you really want him to be, the husband you really want him to be, because only when he comes to Christ can he become the loving husband he needs to be. The world can see your inner beauty and be, be amazed by, who, by the, the love and the grace of God through you, and you can have a transformational impact on them, and God will reward you for what you do because you have chosen life instead of choosing the flesh. So denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus brings life. It's a guarantee. And so to me, this is a passage of hope, even though it may not look, at, look like that at the beginning. And it's a passage of grace. Because only through God's grace can any of this happen. And so I want to close in a time of prayer now where I just ask the Lord to help us to see things the way he sees it and help us to receive his grace and to pass it on to others. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching of Peter here specifically addressing wives, but it applies to all of us. We thank you, Lord, that you value women so much and that women um, were designed and created by you to reflect your glory and to be fruitful and transformational. We thank you that you give 
wives the grace to be able to submit to husbands, even to those who don't uh, live in a way that's worthy of it. But more than that, Lord, we thank you that you choose to use all of us to reflect your love and your glory through our humility and through our submission and through our, the sacrifice of our personal desires. But as we do that, you give us something much greater, and we thank you for that. Through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed and we have been given a new life and a new path and a new goal. And so help all of us to keep our eyes on heaven. Help all of us not to be distracted by the things of the world, but help all of us to put you first and your kingdom first. And then give us the grace to deal with the the hardships that we face each day as you dealt with the hardships that you faced when you were here on this earth 2,000 years ago. May you bless all of us and help us to live according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.